All right, welcome, glad that all of you are here on your seat. You will find the notes for tonight. If you want to grab those, you can follow along with me. If you want to just listen while I teach, that's fine too. While you do that, let me welcome all of our campuses today, uh, not just here at Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch and Castle Rock, uh, Lakewood, even though not up and running yet, you know that we are so close uh, to getting uh, services started over there, so we want to begin to automatically include them as part of our services, many of the people that are going to be attending Lakewood and that are coming from uh, Bear Valley, the church that, uh, uh, that, we're, uh, uh, that we've taken now to become our new campus, are already attending some of the different campuses. So we want to recognize they'll be going back to Lakewood and a part of that. So uh, all of those that live stream, wherever you are, welcome. I'm glad that you are part of our, uh, our new series on uh, Vintage Christmas. Um, in your notes, I put down the idea of original intent. And let me start our new series real quickly, um, talking about that, that thought. Um, how many of you know, and I've taught this now for 14, this will be the 14th year. 2012 kicks off the 14th year, our second Jubilee at Jubilee. How about that? Yes. Uh, I've taught over and over about original intent. God's original idea and thought for the creation of mankind above everything else is that God wants to be with you. He loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Everything, Old Testament and New Testament, all points to this truth, that God wants to hang out with you. Bottom line. Now, if you come from a church that's taught a lot of legalism, um, you, you, you may have to get used to hearing the fact that God likes you. I, I know that sounds weird, but if you grew up in a church that taught a lot of heavy law... And a lot of, hey, you've got to get yourself right, and you've got to take care of your own junk, and you have to perform, perform, perform. The whole idea of God liking you is a foreign idea. And so when a pastor stands up or a teacher stands up and begins to talk about the fact that, hey, God loves you, and God wants to connect with you, and God created you for connection with him. Not only is there something in you that needs to connect to God, but there's something in God that needs to connect to you. That's why I did it. And you begin to talk about that and get into that. Uh, people that have not been raised that way, they struggle with that concept. They, they hide from it. They run from it. They don't, uh, they don't feel comfortable with the idea. So when I talk about original intent, I go back to the thought that from the very beginning, God's intention with mankind, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says that the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he came to walk with them in the cool of the day. The word walk there literally means to come and hang out. It means to walk without a destination in mind. How many of you recognize that sometimes what God wants from us is not to end up any place? He just wants us to be with Him. It's a great concept, a wonderful idea. We're supposed to be developing relationship. So, folks, Christmas is another opportunity for us to talk about original intention. It all points back to the idea that God loves us so much, He's done whatever it has taken in order to have relationship with us. Matthew chapter 1, 22 through 23, this is prophetic scripture in reference to Christ, but it points back to original intention. It reads this way, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name. What does it say in your notes? Let's do it together. What's his name? Which is translated... God with us. Original intention. The original intent. God's plan and purpose. He created you to connect with Him. Something in you needs God and something in God wants to connect with you. All of the Bible, if you read it with the idea that the blueprint being shown to us is that God loves you and God has a plan and a purpose for you and God wants to connect with you, then everything you read, you can find it. Even the birth of Christ points to it. All of this was done to fulfill the prophecy that the virgin was going to have a child and his name shall be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Everything points back to the, part, to the truth and to the part that God loves you, wants to connect with you. Let me give you a few thoughts about this idea as we start this new series. And it'll only go for the month of December. So the first one's a little bit broad and will go a little, more, uh, a little more specific in the next couple of weeks. But let me give you a few thoughts on this idea of original intent. The first one, what's in a name? And I want you just sort of to, to, in thinking about Christmas, sometimes we get caught up in all the pageantry of it. We get caught up in all the gift buying 
we get caught up in all the rush of it. Can I just, anybody in here, would you love to lay that down for just about an hour or so and really find Jesus at Christmas? I, I, if I could do anything, that's what I would hope to be able to do right now is to show you him. So the Bible tells us that his name should be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I just wrote down, what's in a name? Why does it matter? Why does the Bible take the time, the opportunity to point out his name and what's it mean? Well, I, I, I would teach this. Names in the Bible are very important. You know, today when we name a child, a lot of times... It's, it's, uh, it's named after a father or after a grandfather or somebody that we respect. Sometimes we just pick names out. I mean, they're just random. We like them. But names in the Bible were never accidental. Names, names represented nature and character. If you have a pen, you might want to write this down. Because if I could expose to you right now God's intention again, even through Christmas, is to connect with you and to make who He is and what He has for you so real that you're experiencing Him. Maybe maybe I could teach you even this thought through just understanding names. Names represent nature and character. And in fact, whenever in the Hebrew culture, whenever a child was named, before they knew the nature and character of the child, here was the thought. If we name the child this particular thing, we can actually create that nature and that character before they ever grow up and we try to... You know, the time to try to do it is before they're this big. You ever try to change them when they're this big? It's very difficult. The time to begin saying it and working on it is before, before the chalkboard has been erased the first time. Right on it. Right while it's still open and while it's still blank. And a name represents nature, character, or purpose. In fact, let me give you a couple of examples. Whenever a nation, this is Old Testament, whenever a nation was taken over by another nation, when they, if if they deemed that, that they weren't going to kill everyone and they wanted to expand the kingdom, here's what they would do. They would pick the males decide where they're going to serve in the new kingdom, and then they would change their names. It's the first thing that they would do. The name change was to represent the new nature, the new character, or the new purpose of the person. One of the places we read about that was, how many of you remember the prophet Daniel? Daniel uh, was a a young man in Israel, 17 years old. And God had warned the nation of Israel, if you don't repent of idolatry, Babylon is coming and is going to take you over. And God warned them. For a long period of time, they would not repent. Nebuchadnezzar comes into Israel, absolutely destroys, knocks the temple down, takes all of the temple articles, brings them back to his homeland, and then he takes the smart of the smart in order to teach them the language, the literature, and the the morals of Babylon. And so the first thing he does to Daniel is to change Daniel's name. Daniel went from Daniel to Belteshazzar. Now, don't get lost in this. Let me just try to teach you very quickly. Names in Hebrew were little sentences. So that whenever you spoke their name, you know, when you and I, we we call it Larry. When I say Larry, all you hear is Larry. But in Hebrew, Daniel was a little sentence. And Daniel meant, God is my savior, or God is my judge. So that every time they called his name, they were speaking who he is, what his purpose is, and where he was going in his life. From the time he was a baby till he became an adult, every time they called his name, they would speak this truth over who he is. And and so, you and I hear the word Daniel, but in Hebrew it's a little sentence. So what he would hear is, God is my savior. How, how, God is my Savior, come inside and eat your dinner. God is my Savior, wash your hands. God is my Savior, quit touching your sister. God is my Savior. Stop, whatever it was. So they would, they would say this and you laugh, but literally, n- names are nature, character, purpose, and identity, and they're absolutely important. What's in a name? Well, when this, when this foreign nation takes over Israel, they take Daniel, and rather than kill him, they decide, here's what we're going to do. Let's expand our kingdom. 
Let's take the smart of the smart, but let's change their identity. Let's change their name. Let's change their purpose so that they represent us rather than that. So they name him Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, again, a little sentence. What did it mean? It means Bel is your savior. The gods that they worshipped were the Baals. And so they tried to change his identity by giving him a new name automatically. New Testament. The apostle Paul was Saul. After his conversion, they call him Paul. Why? They changed his identity when he had an experience with Christ. How about this? Both sides of the coin. When you come to God, the very first thing that we should be teaching people is, you have an entirely new identity once you meet Christ. Old is gone, the new is... Why is it whenever... Here's how we do altar calls anymore. If you're hurting and you're in trouble, you need God, raise your hand. This is what we should say. If you are ready to die to the old life, to the old way, to the wrong identity, if you want to become alive in who God says you are and in what God has for you, Now, raise your hand. And we should begin to talk to people about their new identity. Let's reverse that. The enemy, when he works in your life, is to come and to consistently tell you the opposite of what your identity is in Christ. The enemy works over time to convince you that you are not who God says you are. That you don't have what God says that you have, and that you can't do what God said you can do. Yes or no? What's in a name? Everything. So that when we read the Bible, sometimes biblical illiteracy, folks, it is so pervasive that people read it without understanding. God takes the time to say his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. What's in a name? Everything. What's in a name? The purpose of why Jesus came to this earth was not just to die for your sin. The overarching purpose of Christ coming to earth was to reconcile us to relationship with God because God wants to be with you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is prophetic about Christ. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Let me stop and just say, how many of you long for the day when the government rests upon his shoulders? (laughs) There is a third party. Lion of the tribe of Judah. Would you love to align underneath that banner tonight? Huh? Man. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government be upon his shoulders. This sentence. And his what? Name Name represents nature, character, and purpose. Name is absolutely essential. The book of Revelation says you have been given a new name. His name will be called, read them with me. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I love those names. But it is so easy because we don't recognize the idea of what it means to read it and not get it. Have you ever read and not got? Three of us. <laughs> Titles, listen to this, titles allow us to know protocol. Titles allow us to know who we are, who they are, how we act, what to expect. For instance, whether you agree with him or not, 
If the President of the United States walked into the room tonight, I bet everybody would stand and applaud. Any of you say no? Then let me, let me kick at you for a second. The office alone demands the respect. And the Bible clearly tells us that we are to give honor to whom honor is due and respect to whom respect is due. And that the people in authority above us are to be respected. And that does not mean you have to agree, but respect and agreement are two different things. Rebellion. is an embraced theology in church today. Titles allow us to know who we are. They put in front of my title, pastor. Here's what's really funny. It's a formal title. People that don't know me call me pastor. People that get to know me call me by my first name. What does it signify? It signifies a relationship that goes from formal to informal, but a a title or a name allows us to know who a particular person is. Pastor also, titles, they tell us how to act. I've told this story a thousand times. When I'm playing golf, I never love to tell people, never, that I'm a pastor. Not for my sake. I am what I am. This is what I am is what I don't. This is how I am when I'm not here. I love Christ and I'm not afraid to say that. But when I tell people who don't know Christ that I'm a pastor and they find out after the fact, a little videotape runs in their head. Of everything they've said, and of everything, every club they've thrown, every word they've let go, every joke they've just told, everything gets done. And so then they begin to act. Titles put you in a particular place. If you go on a job interview, if you interview with a CEO, I guarantee you, you act a particular way in the presence of the title. Titles introduce us to protocol. They tell us what to expect and how to act and who they are and who we are. Names are absolutely critically important. So that when the Bible takes the time to talk about names, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Folks, these are not just, they're not just titles to read and not be impressed. They should begin to tell you who you are, who He is, how we act, and what to expect. What can you expect from Jesus? He's wonderful. Uh, let me, let me, boy, how do I, how do I try, to, try to communicate this thought? Let's see if I, can, if I can do this. Luke chapter 2, 10 and 11. When Christ is born, the Bible says that the multitude of angels appeared to the shepherds in the fields announcing his birth. And, and that announcement, what an impressive announcement. Of, of all the things they could have said about, about God coming to earth in the form of flesh. Here's how it's announced. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. That's much better than the angel going, you better be afraid. <laughs> yes or no? Yes. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The announcement of Jesus is done this way. I bring you great news, which is for every person. A Savior has been given to the world. For every Muslim, for every Jew, for every Christian, a Savior has been given. And it's wonderful. And I hear, listen to this. If at Christmas time you're not experiencing Jesus the wonderful, I bet you're experiencing Christmas the expensive. (laughs) Christmas the busy. Christmas that's everything 
except Jesus the Wonderful. And I would then submit to you, the thing that God wants you to be experiencing right now, presents aren't wonderful. Thank you for that big amen right there. They're okay, they're cool, they're fun to get, but they're not. Jesus is wonderful. And somehow we have gotten caught up in the whole thing too, where our focus is on all the stuff. And all the busyness and all the parties and all the commitments and all the different things that are happening right now. And in fact, some of you, you're waiting just to get through the season and God wants to connect with you and show you how wonderful He is. And you're trying to find wonderful in presence and wonderful in connection with everything else except Him. And you need to connect with Him because He's wonderful. So be honest with me right now. How many of you are having a wonderful experience? Good, 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 good. How many of you want to have a wonderful experience? Here's the thing. You can tonight. When I'm done, the connection time for you to be able to experience Jesus, the wonderful, is here. Do you hear me? His name shall be called Wonderful. I put down this thought. If wonderful is missing in your experience right now, it's not proof that God is against you. It's proof that a thief is among us. Shut the door to the thief. Enjoy Jesus the wonderful. The Bible says that his name shall be called Counselor. John chapter 10, verse 4, this is what Jesus said. My sheep follow me because they know my voice. Jesus didn't say, my sheep know my book. He said, my sheep know my... How many people are trying every method to hear from God except actually hearing from God? You understand what I mean? How many of you would love for God be your counselor. How many of you are in a situation in your life right now where you were just saying, God, I wish you would tell me what to do. I wish you would tell me what to do in my marriage. I wish you would tell me what to do in my finances. I wish you would tell me what to do with my health, with my children. I wish you'd tell me what to do in my business. I wish you'd tell me what to do to take the next step. I wish, God, you would counsel me. How many of you would love that right there? Okay, here is what I would say to you. The very fact that God says, and this is the announcement for the birth of Christ... A son is given unto you, and his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor. A counselor, God wants to speak to you. He was given personally so that he can personally speak to you. Jesus may be at the right hand of the Father, but his spirit is everywhere and inside of you, and he wants to be your counselor right now. He wants to speak to you tonight. He wants to speak to you tomorrow. He wants to talk to you and draw you to himself. He wants to answer your questions. He wants you to bring all your stuff to him and he wants to talk to you. How do you know that to be true? Because his intention is to connect with you. Original intent was what? God would come in the cool of the day to hang out with the man and woman. Jesus, the overarching ministry of Christ, is not just simply to die for your sins. It was to reconcile us to relationship with God so we could go back to the original intention, which is what? To hang out with God. Is that exciting at all? So that you, you're the whole focus should be Jesus. If, if Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, you should have heard him today. You should hear him tonight. And if you're saying things like, I just can't hear from God, quit empowering the liar. Stop agreeing with the thief. This is what I mean when I say shut the door. If you're not experiencing wonderful, it's not proof that God is against you. It's the proof that a thief is among us. Shut the door. One of the ways to do that Quit agreeing with the enemy. He's a liar. And he is empowered when we agree with the lie. 
How, how strong is his lie to the level that you agree with it? Dang, that was... Write that down, Bill, because that was actually good. How strong is the lie to the level you agree with him? So if you fully agree with him, he has full control. If you partially agree with him, you give him partial control. If you put your foot down and go, you're a liar. He has no control. I remember maybe 14, 15 years ago, I got, I got into spiritual warfare. And I, I was reading this book called Taking Our Cities for God. I don't know if you ever even heard of it. It was a really powerful book. I think John Dawson was the name of the author. And he talked about prayer walking all over our cities. He would take a map and he would just prayer walk, claiming his cities for God. And, he, and, he was, it was, and I just got into this, and I was trying to do all this spiritual warfare, claiming things, writing. I, I, I took oil, and I would... I, <laughs> I hate telling these stories. We first moved down here, I would take oil, and I... <laughs> We were in that, a little storefront, and I would walk, and I would just drop the oil. And I would just go, devil, you can't cross this line. This belongs to us. This is God's. I would do things like that. Just, I know. Can I just say to you, maybe the most radical spiritual warfare you could do is just to quit agreeing with the devil. Maybe you don't need to scream and shout, spit, throw, claim. How about this? Just quit agreeing with the devil. Do the opposite. Mighty God. Second Chronicles 16.9. The first part of the verse I always love this scripture. Listen to this. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro on the whole earth looking for people to show himself strong on their behalf when their hearts are loyal to him. What does that mean? God so much, it is so appealing to him when you are bold for him that he is looking for excuses and ways to show up in your life in a powerful explosion. How many of you need God to move in a powerful way in your life? How many of you need, do you really need God to show up? So I would tell you tonight, what's in a name? Wonderful, counselor, mighty, God, do you know how mighty he is? People compare the devil with God like it's some cosmic battle. God can go anytime he wants to and it's <laughs> game over. C.S. Lewis said this. I thought it was really interesting. When people, how does God allow, why doesn't God stop it? Okay, listen to me. The author of a play is in complete control of the production. But the moment the author steps onto the stage, the play stops. And it is frozen in the condition that it is from that point forward. Cosmically speaking, he will return. And when he does... It will freeze everything as we know it. This age will end and the new one will begin. And it will be whatever it will be. And let me ask you, if you're looking forward to his return, I get it and I understand it. But you know there are a lot of people out there who do not know him. And it will be frozen once it happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? He is mighty. 
Do we pray to a mighty God? Or do we pray anemic prayers representing how we really see him? God, let my car start. God, let me make that red light. How about God bring revival to my neighborhood? Save my children. Open the eyes of this world. It is so easy to sit and criticize even our leaders. When's the last time you prayed for your leaders? Fast for our leadership. Call out to God on their behalf. What's in a name? He takes the time to expose himself as mighty God. And I would argue with you that I don't think we see him as so mighty. More of a cosmic Santa Claus to give us stuff. Just dang. Got awful serious and quiet, huh? Let me just say this. The rest of these titles, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, I'm going to save those for Christmas Eve. We're going to go a different direction next week. And on Christmas Eve, I'm going to teach Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace for the Christmas Eve message. So I want to do this. Invite your friends because I'm going to expose him as the Savior of all mankind. And if you bring folks that night who don't know Jesus, I'll give them a chance to know Jesus. Last year, Christmas Eve, I think we had five or 600 people who were born again. Bring them. Bring them. Let me give you the takeaway, and this is what I'll close it with. The name we began with was the name Emmanuel, God with us. It speaks to the original intent of God's purpose. The notes say Genesis 2.8. It's my bad. It's Genesis 3.8. The man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God coming to walk in the garden with them in the cool of the day. I tried to find an illustration. Because illustrations, stories, Jesus, Jesus spent an inordinate amount of time in teaching people, he would tell stories. Because stories are the one thing that speak to any culture at any age through any season. Do you know that? It's the one thing. It doesn't, it, it's not, no matter where you minister, stories can reach the heart of a person. They're powerful. And in looking for, how, how do I explain how desperate God was to connect with us again? He creates us in the perfect environment. And we go our own way and do our own thing. And then he takes the responsibility for our stuff upon himself. And sends his own son to die on our behalf. We did it and he took care of it. He so desperately is trying constantly to reach us. And to draw us to him. To love us. To connect with us. While he is the mighty God, he is also the very one that will come and sit beside you tonight and call your name. He may have put the stars in their position, but he knows the color of your eyes. He may have created the mechanism whereby the universe functions, but he also picked your personality. He is almighty and all-personal. And if it's fair to use the term desperation with God, I'm not sure. Maybe you could argue with me over the theological bent of it, but just give me a little grace here. God is so desperate to connect with you that he spells it out for us over and over again in the scripture to talk about original intent, his purpose, to connect us with him, to know him, to love him, to worship him. Worship is an expression of love. And I tried to think, is there any story 
any illustration I can give that talks about how desperate, when you're so desperate, you'll go to any measure to connect with the person. Chris and I, two weeks from today, will be married 28 years. Wow. Two weeks from today is really, yeah, you know, don't clap yet. Hang on. In, in 1982, at Christmas time, for those that live in this area, we had this massive blizzard. It's still called Blizzard of 82. Ever heard of it? <laughs> 82. Uh, I was 18. And I had gone to her house. I took, Mom, where are you? There she is. There's my mom. I took my mom's car. My mom had a Ford LTD. It was about two blocks long. Remember how big it was? It was a great big car. What a cruiser that car was. I learned to drive in that car. I had a Maverick. And it died on me. So I had to borrow my mom's car. And I went to see Chris on the eve of of the blizzard. And I was hanging out at her house. And her family, her brothers, and this and that that were living all over, everybody had come into town. And we were dating, and it was starting to get pretty serious. I had fallen head over heels for her. I don't think she had fallen that way for me yet. But I was that way for her. It was crazy. And it started to snow. It was snowing two inches an hour. And I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. I thought, I'm going to get stuck here. And I'll be able to stay with her for like two days. <laughs> now, nothing, nothing bad. Just, you know, I'm going to be able to hang out with this girl that I'm just crazy about for two days. Her mom and dad aren't going to be able to get rid of me. It's a blizzard out. They can't, what are they going to do? And her dad kept saying, you know, John, you probably ought to go. It's getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> And this old LTD was rear-wheel drive. And I said, all right, Mr. Hilgers, I'll go. I got in the car, and I, I couldn't get it down the street. I got stuck. So I got out and I went back up to the door. I said, man, the car's stuck, and I, I, can't, I can't get home. And I thought for sure he would go, come on in. I had a place for you on the floor. Don't worry about it. And he goes, I'll drive you home. <laughs> So he drives me home. So my mom <laughs> is my mom, my two brothers and myself. The only car we have is stuck in Lakewood. And we're, we're, we're about four or five miles from the house. And it snowed in, in 24 hours. It snowed 24 inches, right? Wasn't that what it ended up being? And then it ended up kind of here and there for the next day or so. It ended up like 30 inches of snow. And it was, it was just one of those blizzards where it was the first real blizzard I had ever been in, and it paralyzed the city, and it was just, you know, my mom was frustrated at me because we, we were stuck in the house. And, and you know, it's, I mean, it's Christmas time, and we have, we have no car. I've, I've got it stuck over here, and so we're all, and, and mom had cooked a really good meal for us. We're hanging out. But I, man, I wanted to, to see Chris. And, uh, and the blizzard had gotten so bad, nobody could drive. The city was paralyzed. Cars were just stuck in the middle of the street. It was one of those deals. And I, on December 26th, had decided I'm going to Chris's house. So I, it was about five miles. I walked through this blizzard, through the snow. And I had tennis shoes and jeans, and I finally got there, and I was so cold. But man, I, I wanted to see her so bad. I wanted to be with her. I wanted to hang out with her. Plus, I had to get that car home. <laughs> <laughs> and I know what a minuscule example 
of what a person is willing to do to be with somebody that they love. And this is what the Bible says. You, as humans, are evil in comparison to how God loves. And your story that you tell, it reaches a certain level, but if you knew how much God has gone after you. A blizzard isn't a fair comparison to a man who laid down his life. Cold feet and hardship, how do you even begin to compare to the God of the universe who had his face slapped but turned the other cheek and said, even if you do it again, I love you. Who time and time again has decided, I am extending the hand of mercy. Who just made up his mind, and it never changes. See, this is the thing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Regardless of your unfaithfulness, he remains faithful. Because God cannot deny himself. We don't even understand that kind of love. And yet here the Father, what a time again to reflect on it. Everything points to original intent, which is, I love you. I created you to love me. All the stuff that the enemy is so successful at getting you to be disengaged from the Father and engaged in all the crud. God still reaches out and says, come to me. Everyone who is weary and everyone who is weighed down and everyone who is not experiencing wonderful and everyone who is not... Look, let's just get real right now. Are you experiencing his love? Is it happening? Because God invites you, original intent. He wants to connect with you. He wants your heart. Some guy told me last week, God wants your money. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. He wants way more than your money. He wants your heart. And he offers his in return. I want to, in the three minutes I have left, I want to lay out something for you that is really important, really exciting. This message is the message that I have taught. If you listen to me in any stretch of time, I really have one message. I come at it from different angles in different ways, but there's really only one message. The message is Jesus is awesome. That's my message. His presence is my priority. The last two years of my life, church, if you've gone here, you know everything that I have tried to teach and do has been to aim it at the point of making Christ the preeminent issue of all that we do. The connection time at the end, what I teach, how I try to explain it, people getting born again. It's all for one thing. I want him to be what it's all about. And that's my goal. That's how I have tried to demonstrate to my staff. It's all about Jesus and making him the number one thing in your life. And every January, for the last few years, I've been starting out, if you guys remember, fasting and praying, and let's set the tone spiritually, let's go after it, let's make him the thing. And the Lord spoke to me about something for this January. He spoke to Chris and I at the exact same time, and when we came together and compared notes, we had heard something from the Lord. In January and February of 2012, Chris and I are going to take some time off to fast and pray and to go after the idea that God's got to be the preeminent issue in everything that we're doing. Vision, future, preaching, everything that we're doing 
He's got to be the number one issue. We feel like that if we aren't doing it on purpose, then all we're doing is teaching something that we're not living up to. And unless the leader does it, no one on staff can do it. And if the staff can't do it, no one in the church is going to be able to do it. So I went to our board and I asked the board for permission. Can I have 60 days? It's not vacation time because I have all the vacation time I need. I said, can I have 60 days to disconnect from email? And 60 days to disconnect from the day-to-day operation of this church. And 60 days to pursue God. Can I put myself spiritually in the place that he is the preeminent issue? And can we do it together? Because if we can't do it together, it'll bog us down. The board jumped on it and said, your responsibility is to be in the best spiritual position that you can be to lead this church. So then I approached my staff and I said, can you run the day-to-day operation here? My executive team, Pastor DeMay, all of them stood right up, cheered me, said, Pastor, we're behind you. Do whatever you need to do. Folks, I know that whenever a pastor talks about taking any time off like that, it's usually in a crisis. We have no crisis. Our marriage is doing really good. My children love Jesus. And the police aren't waiting for me when the service is over. (laughs) Everything's great. We're just at a place where we're just saying we're about to plant campus number four. Behind the scenes, we're actually starting number five. And I felt like the Lord said to me, in order to take you where I need to take you, you've got to have me as the biggest focus of your life. And I, more than anything else, I'll do exactly what God tells me to do. If you go here, you know that. If the Lord tells me to do it, I'll do it. So that's what we're doing. We're really excited about it. We've actually been in the preparation for quite some time now. Um, January 1st is when we're going to go for this and do this. Um, I've actually pre-recorded four of the eight messages so that you won't even know I'm gone. <laughs> but we're super excited about it. We feel like this is, this is the direction. The only reason I've been sharing it in this format... I want you to know, you do not have a pastor who just gets up and talks. This is how I live my life. And Jesus is the preeminent issue of everything that I do. And I can't go the next 14 years like I'm going. i got to get in that place where he is the focus above everything else again. And I felt like the Lord said, this is the only way that you can do it, John got to take this time, got to connect with me. The only question negative I've been asked is, is this a front for you leaving? No. Look me in the eye and hear me. I don't have anything else. God hasn't called me to anything else. This is what I've given my life to. This is what I've given all my money to. This is what I've given all of my strategy to. I'm not leaving. I know for some of you, you're disappointed in that. However, (laughs) this is it. We're not doing this for any reason other than the stated reason. God has told us to do it. We are so excited. Because if I heard from God, and if God does what we believe he's going to do, then we believe March to December of 2012 could be the greatest time of revival our church has ever known. That's what we're aiming for. We want the outpouring of God's spirit. So we, the only reason I share it is the end thing. We're asking God, what do you want from us? We'll give it to you. What do you want us to experience? We give our hearts to you. We give our lives to you. We're coming after you with everything that we have. We hold nothing back. We reserve nothing. We want you like you want us. And I preach this message to ask you in our connection time with God, can you say the same thing to him? Can you say to him, I'll hold nothing back. I'll give you everything you want. I'll give you everything you ask for. I will come to you and I will pursue you. Is he the preeminent issue in your life? And this isn't, there's no hype. Stan, there's no massaging this. It's just a straight up Look him in the eyes 
and answer the question. Can God have you? Will you give him you? Will you stop all the religious stuff and will you just give yourself fully to God? That's what the connection time is over tonight. Nothing you need to answer to me or to anybody else. What would you say to God if he asked you that question? Because that's what I think he's asking our church. Am I the preeminent issue in everything that you're doing? I want the answer to be yes. Hmm. I want the answer to be yes. All right, uh, our worship team, I'm not sure. Here they come. Um, Let's get them in place. Let's just pray. We'll ask the Lord to let the Holy Spirit direct your response right now. Folks, I ask no hype, no manipulation, no baloney. Just straight up right now. Straight talk. Gut level honesty. Where are you at on that question? Can God have everything? If that's too difficult to bite off, then let me ask it this way. Do you want God to be the preeminent issue of your life? Can you hear Him cry out for your heart? If what I said is true and what's written through Scripture is to speak to original intention, original intent, that the creator of this universe created you to know Him, not in some salvation prayer one time and then you go live your life, but to know Him every day, to be filled with His Spirit, to walk with Him, that his, that his presence is like oxygen to you. Do you want that? You know, in my mind, as I'm saying these things right now, I'm speaking to believers. If you're here and not in a relationship with God, hold on. I'm talking right this second to believers. Is God the preeminent issue of your life? So you have first place. Is his presence your priority? What's going on? I think for the last two years, I've pushed and pushed to this issue for our church. Is his presence the priority? Before it could ever be a priority in our church, it's got to be a priority in the life of the person. God is calling for your heart. I ask that the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. Let the Father draw you to Himself. you feel distant and away far away the Father's calling to you right now maybe you're just at a crossroads he's calling to you right now maybe you're broken tonight he's calling to you right now Maybe you're on top of the world. 
Your whole future, man, is so bright. God's calling to you right now. What will you say? Can he have you? the only thing I feel stern in my spirit to pray for directly is this person. If you're here and you're far away from God, if your heart feels very cold, maybe even indifferent, and it hasn't always been like that, that's how you'd know the difference. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and wants to touch your heart. And I am not looking to embarrass you, parade you, extort you for any of my purposes whatsoever. Just ask you straight up, if that's you, you just are very far away from God You need to come home. If you just say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't even know how to get back home. But I hear God. I want to say yes to Him. If that's you, would you just just raise your hand right now? Just say, pray for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I see you. I see you. Yeah. Yep, I see you. I see you. I see you. Thanks. Yes, sir. I see you too. I got you, folks. I see you. Okay. Every one of you that raised your hand, I just ask that the Holy Spirit, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is Comforter. I'm asking that the God of all comfort would touch your heart right now. That that place that you're in right now that seems so distant and so cold, so indifferent, that the Holy Spirit would invade that place. That God would soften your heart. I don't mean that as a kick at you. I just mean it simply that when our hearts are hard, it's one of the things that makes us feel so far away. I want you to know God is actually closer than the very breath of your nostrils. He wants to draw you to himself. I ask that your heart right now in Jesus' name be filled with the love of God. Filled. Ask that he begin to melt that ice, melt that coldness, and draw you to himself. Draw you to himself. Hmm. Folks, do me a favor. Let's go ahead and stand. I've taken a lot of liberty in my time and in that ministry. And because of it, I'm going to have to cut us short here on our communion here's here's the way that we'll do it why don't you as Pastor Nate goes to close right now why don't you when you take communion go ahead and work your way out that way it allows for us to be able to function with that next service that needs to get in here If you need prayer tonight, we will take time for that. Folks in the back with the lanyards that say prayer, stop there. But go ahead when you take communion, take your stuff with you, and that way when you're done, you can go. Remember, if you want to give towards the Smiths tonight, it's above and beyond your tithe. Write it in the memo part of your check. If you're giving cash, mark it on an envelope. 
We'll make sure that it gets to them. Hmm. I feel a great depth with what the Lord wants to do this month. Great drawing. Yeah, Nate, I'll give that to you.